This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by The Inevitability of Death. This is certain. The worst part is that it is certain. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. This week, 1981's Friday the 13th Part. And 2014's It Follows. Kelsey, why don't you share what the theme of this week is? Slow-moving killers that specifically go after people who have had sex. There you go. (laughs) Also, we were recommended to watch It Follows by Chickapedia. Thank you, Chickapedia. Thank you, Chickapedia. That is her Twitter handle if you would like to reach out to her. Yes, thank you, Chickapedia. We are huge fans of It Follows, but we will talk about that when we get to that movie. But before we do anything, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. That is correct. Why don't you give me what you got? What other Christmas-themed film did 1974's Black Christmas director Bob Clark make? What other... Christmas-themed film did Black Christmas director Bob Clark make? It's so hard to keep, a, like, organized which Christmas films are what, because they're all, like, generic Christmas salutations and stuff. Um, Do you want me to give you a hint? Sure. It is not another horror movie. He didn't do Christmas Vacation, did he? No, he did a Christmas story. Oh, okay, okay. We probably talked about that in that episode, too. Probably. Oh, uh, bummer. All right. It's well, Kelsey. Huh. It's a good movie. It is a good movie. This one is much easier. Okay. What antique is responsible for the sinister happenings in Oculus 2014? Amir. That is correct. Good job. That was an easy one. It was a very easy one. And there's going to be another easy one for your second question. But that's okay. It's themed. Hey, the one you're going to get next is easy, too. (laughs) Way to set it up in case I lose. (laughs) All right. Our first movie up is Friday the 13th, part two, written by Ron Kurtz and Victor Miller, who is responsible for the characters, directed by Steve Miner, starring... Betsy Palmer, I guess, Amy Steele, and John Fury. Kelsey, what is Friday the 13th Part D about? It's pretty much the same thing as the original. A group of camp counselors are getting ready to be camp counselors, but it's not that they're going to have the camp there. It's yep. like a... Okay, this is great. It's like a training I camp. I love this premise. Okay, so they're ramping things up. The new killer is going to be Jason now. This is the first movie where Jason's actually the killer. As a follow-up to the ending of the first movie where it appears that he's maybe still alive. Yes. And instead of just another camp, 
This is a camp counselor training facility. So the only people here are just a bunch of camp counselors. Which I don't really understand because they're they've all been camp counselors before like they're going was, back to basics kelsey if it was like you know <laughs> oh we've never done it before and we're training to learn how to do it that would make sense but they're all seasoned camp counselors they're going back to basics <laughs> cpr archery other things <laughs> it's great to have you all here at our new counselor training center you've all worked as counselors at one camp or another and what we're going to do over the next two weeks is go back to basics. Survival, first aid, boating, archery, rifle range, all of them. This is a very strange concept. And they're not even at Camp Crystal Lake. They're at the one across the lake. No, it's still, it, yeah, they're not at the same camp, but they're still at Crystal Lake. Yeah. Yeah. There was a big thing where, like, Sean Cunningham and others who were originally, you know, they were in the first one. Uh, Steve Miner was like a producer or something on the original, and he was the one that wanted to make a second one. And everyone else is like, dude, you can't make a sequel to that with Jason. What? He was just alive the whole time at the bottom of the ocean? Or was he just across the lake from his mom and didn't say anything? (laughs) They kind of, kind of, kind of bring that up in this one. Barely. But Sean Cunningham did apparently come back eventually to do some production work. Uh, So he didn't abandon the project altogether, but he was like, all right, Steve, this is yours. (laughs) All right. So, Kelsey, should people watch Friday the 13th Part 2? Sure. It's the first appearance of Jason. Yeah, it's, it's fun. He doesn't know how knives and machetes work. <laughs> we'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess. I mean, it, yes. it's it's a it's a it's a benchmark in horror history. I said it in our first episode. Um, the first four are pretty decent. You know, none of them are amazing feats in film, but it, if you like Jason, definitely you got to see this because it's when he it's his first appearance. Yeah. And then the next one, he gets the hockey mask, so don't be looking for that in this one. No, this one, he has a bag over his head. Like a burlap sack. He is designed to look like the town who dreaded sundown. Yes. That dude. All right. You can take our advice or leave it. And when we get back, we will talk about Friday the 13th, part two. Friday the 13th, 1980, was a very unlucky day for the counselors at Camp Crystal Lake. The girl who survived that night disappeared 12 months later, vanished on Friday the 13th, 1981. The body count continues. Friday the 13th, part two, from Paramount Pictures, rated R, under 17, not admitted without parent. Apparently, Kelsey, this movie has one of the longest pre-credit sequences in cinematic history, nearly 15 minutes, it was about 12-something in R version that we watched i can't find a reliable source for the actual longest pre-title scene because it's just not a thing that's well documented but it may be may be dennis hopper's the last movie from 1971 that has a 30 minute pre-title sequence before the title screen comes up i do not count Movies that wait until the end of the movie to show the title sequence, because that's just ridiculous. The remake 
of Friday the 13th. Remember? It has a really long sequence before we get the title, so it's a staple of the series, I guess. Yeah, and Halloween Part 2 Rob Zombies was like 25 minutes of an intro sequence. I don't know if it was before the title, though. I don't remember. Yeah. Yeah, but I remember we're like... Wow, this movie's really moving along at quite a clip. (laughs) It's like, oh, they're dying already? And then they're all dead, and it's... Now we're going to see the Now the title sequence, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that one was pretty long, too. Mm -hmm. So why don't you get us started, Kelsey? What happens in Friday the 13th Part 2? We open with the main girl from the original having a dream. So it's a lot like in Halloween 2 when we get to see basically the end of the first movie. They pretty much do that here. We get to see that it was Mrs. Voorhees. We get to see that she survived. It's kind of like with Halloween Part 2, yeah. Exactly. And then she wakes up and she was just dreaming about it. Uh, Meanwhile, there has been someone walking around her street and we only get to see his feet, which is, of course, Jason. She's talking to her mom on the phone, and she's like, I'm just trying to get my life back together, mom. And then when she hangs up, she's hearing something, and, like, she sees that the window is open. And I talked about this in the first episode, I mean, the episode about Friday the 13th, how she was smart enough to grab a weapon. Yeah. But here, she doesn't grab a weapon, Uh even though she's very nervous and scared, and, oh, it's just a cat, so no big deal. But then, oh! Oh, Jason's inside the house and he kills her. Screwdriver or something to the side of the head. A needle through the skull? Like a knitting needle or something? That's kind of what it looked like. Yeah, I don't know. And then we And I get, wrote, is that possible? Could a knitting needle go through the skull? I guess with enough force. I imagine it's probably pretty fragile around the temple. Hmm. So, I don't know. Maybe. How did he find her? Yeah. No idea. No, it's nonsense. It's absolute nonsense. <laughs> it's, it's just to get us up to speed to, with what happened in the original without having Adrian King in this movie. Yes. She just comes in, she does one scene, and then she's done. <laughs> there are conflicting reports about this. Some people say that she was willing to do a little bit, but not be in the whole movie because... Well, this is true. She did have a stalker who broke into her home and stuff like that. So she was very nervous about that. But it's not like she quit acting. She did do more movies. Some mm-hmm. people are like, she didn't want to act anymore. But yeah, but then you look at her her credits and she kept doing stuff. Mm-hmm. She wasn't hiding. And then she, there's one quote of her saying that she told them she'd be willing to do the movie. <laughs> and they brought her in. And day one started, and she still hadn't seen a script, and then turned out they didn't script this scene. They're just like, here, talk to your mom. And 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 then all of a sudden, she was killed by Jason, and she's like, oh, I guess I'm done? Like, that's she was shitty. willing to be in the rest of the movie. That's shitty. Yeah, that's according to her. But we do know she did have this stalker that she was very scared of, so it's a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B. <laughs> but this is the end of Adrian King for Friday the 13th. Yes. So, um, back to the town of Crystal Lake, and we get to see Doomed Guy again. The Harbinger's back. Doom! (laughs) Doomed! I told them before, they're all doomed! I told the others, they didn't believe me. You're all doomed. You're all doomed. So great. But 
He's not long for this world. No, he's going <laughs> to die pretty quickly as well. Oh, can we talk about how the title sequence actually happens? We get the same title card as the original, and then it blows up. Instead of shattering, yes. it blows up, <laughs> and then part two is revealed. <laughs> so dramatic. So then we get to meet our camp counselors. And we know from the get-go, this is all going to be about sex. We get a close-up on a girl's ass, and then she gets hit with a stone from some guy's slingshot. And she's just expected to just laugh it off. Yeah, she gets hit in the ass by some jerk, and he's like, I just hit you with a slingshot. This is pure 80s sexploitation, basically. Yes. And so... He's talking to them about, you know, just be, this is bear country. You need to be clear of this and clear of that. And then he says, keep clean during your menstrual cycle, women. Like it's a fucking, uh, the anchor man. It'll it'll attract bears. Yes. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Uh huh. Among other things, this is bear country. And contrary to what everybody hears, bears are dangerous. Change often. If you're a woman, don't use perfume. And uh, keep clean during your menstrual cycle. I read somewhere that their periods attract bears. The bears can smell the menstruation. Well, that's just great. You hear that, Ed? Bears. And then he says, I don't want this place looking like a Burger King. What? What? I don't know. Then they're talking about, look, let's get this out in the open, okay? There was a murder here, all right? The old timers will tell you that he's that Jason is still out there. It's a bunch of bullshit. Uh, one girl survived, and then she disappeared two months later. And then he says, um, "Legend has it," and I'm like, "Wait a minute, how long has it been? It's been five, five years, years, even so, though it's only been a year since the first movie came out." <laughs> yes, but they needed another Friday the Thirteenth that happens in the summer. <laughs> And, and and in fact, this Friday the 13th is the same month. It's like June or July or something like that. So the next time that was going to happen was going to be five years later. And so, th- so this is actually taking place in the future. I love that they cared about that. <laughs> yeah. Like, we got to make sure that it's on the Friday the 13th. So <laughs> because be Jason cares about it. Yeah. I guess. It's his birthday. Yeah, but. Specifically Friday. Right. It ha- it's when his birthday happens to land on a Friday, I guess, is when he just freaks out. <laughs> I don't- <laughs> so he's telling the story to all these camp counselors around a campfire about the story of Jason and Mrs. Voorhees and about how some people say Jason's still alive, wandering the woods. I don't want to scare anyone, but I'm going to give it to you straight about Jason. His body was never recovered from the lake after he drowned. And if you listen to the old timers in town, they'll tell you he's still out there, some sort of demented creature surviving in the wilderness, full grown by now. Some folks claim they've even seen him right in this area. The girl who survived that night at Camp Blood, that Friday the 13th, she disappeared two months later. No one knows what happened to her. Legend has it that Jason saw his mother beheaded that night, and that he took his revenge, a revenge that he'll continue to seek if anyone ever enters his wilderness again. And by now, I guess you all know, we're the first to return here. Five years, five long years he's been dormant, and he's hungry. Jason's out there, 
Always on the prowl for intruders. Ready to kill. Ready to devour. Thirsty for young blood. And then, boo! Ah! Out comes the goofy camp counselor dude wearing like a loincloth and carrying a spear and a mask on. Yes. And scares all the camp counselors. Yes. Okay, look, now, now that we got that out of our system, okay, I don't want to hear any more about it. It's ancient history. Jason drowned, Mrs. Voorhees was killed, and Camp Crystal Lake is off limits. Got it? The girl that the main guy is ha- is sleeping with is like... The second act needs work. Like, she's really upset that he yeah. did that. But Can we talk about, though, this mask? That this is the second movie, the first with Jason. He does not have – this is a world before Jason's iconic mask, the hockey mask. There is a mask in this movie. Friday the 13th Part 1 was written, Cunningham admits, as a ripoff of Halloween. That was the whole idea. And – they have a mask in this movie, and he never wears it. Nope. He, he, at one point, he looks at it and just kind of tosses it aside. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I just thought that that was pretty interesting, that that was this close, this close. It was one Steve Miner away from being the iconic Jason mask. <laughs> I wonder what a world would be like. <laughs> wonder what the world would be like. So it's the it's the first night, and I think it's raining, and they're all stuck inside. And uh, one guy is arm wrestling. Another guy, the guy who was wearing the mask, is playing a video game. Yep. And uh, this one girl is super in love with this guy in a wheelchair. And she's like, do you want to dance? And he's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So this guy in a wheelchair who apparently got into a motorcycle accident. Yes. And, and people, refused to accept that he would never walk again. Yes, so he's working hard to walk again, which is, you know, good for him. In training, as he says, yeah. over and over again. But they they make a point in 1981 <laughs> to be, like, super progressive about somebody with a disability, to be like, he is very capable. Like, he his disability kind of doesn't factor into the movie at all. It presents an interesting death but it's not the reason he dies it's not like he's not tripped up by his disability at all as a matter of fact he's more of a physical specimen than anyone else there mm-hmm. that was pretty interesting yeah it was very cool yeah but she loves him apparently had a big crush on him in real life but he was gay he actually died in real life from aids oh. i know it's kind of a bummer Sad. the Main chick and the guy that is running the whole camp counselor training thing, uh, they're playing chess by the fire, and there are other people dancing, and good God, the acting is really bad in this movie. (laughs) The chick is like, all right, I'm just going to go to bed. Ginny is her name. Yes, and then later her her boyfriend is going to come, and they're going to have sex. Oh, and the dude who, the harbinger, is watching them. I don't think he's even talked to them at this point. He's like watching them. No, he talked to the people in the phone booth earlier. Oh, that's Who right. got their truck carted away. Yes. Yeah. And so he's watching them and then he dies and that's it. Yeah, he gets strangled. Like, why bring him back? <laughs> I think if he's the harbinger, he needs to warn these kids too. Uh, one chick, I think it was the one who got the uh, rock at her, thrown at her ass. 
is looking around for her dog, who I totally thought would be dead. Muffin. Yeah, but Muffin, she just can't find her anywhere. Yeah. So it's like the next day or something, and the cop sees somebody. There's a sheriff dude who uh, sees somebody running off in the woods and is like, hey, you, stop. Because remember, the two in the truck, the girl, for whatever reason, is obsessed with seeing Camp Blood. She's like, we have to go. I have to see it. And the boyfriend is like, why? And she's like, because I have to. And it's so dumb. But yeah, so they're going in there and they get caught. Yes. And he kind of like kicks them out. But then he sees somebody else and he chases after them in the woods. And then it's like for the next 10 minutes, we're just going to watch the sheriff run through the woods. It's funny because as soon as Chris said, Jesus, how much longer is he going to run through the woods? He stopped. (laughs) (laughs) And he stops because he comes across Jason's shed, which we. um, Yeah, he's like living in a shack. Yeah. In the middle of the woods. Exactly. And he's like, what? It's obviously this. This ramshackle shed put together using, you know, corrugated panels and other things. And he goes inside and this place is a mess. And then he opens up a room. And I don't know if we see what he sees at this point. I don't think so. Okay. But he sees something and he's shocked. And then the claw end of a hammer into his head and he dies. Yes. Back to the girl looking for her dog again. So she hasn't found her dog all night, all day, and she's still just like, Muffin? Yeah, they're Muffin? I would be freaking out. But when the couple goes to Camp Blood, they find a dead dog. They do, yes. That's true. I wrote that. Yes. But it's not Muffin. No. So. So then she's like all by herself looking for her dog. She's like, oh, there's a lake. I'm just going to get naked in the middle of the day and go skinny dipping. Meanwhile, I know that there's a whole camp of teenage boys. Also, at the same time, you don't know what is in that lake. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. So the dude who slingshotted her comes by, steals her clothes. And when she gets out, her clothes like that's uh, the things that we thought were totally innocent fun that kids just being kids. Like, that's fucked. Yes. And and he gets caught in a in a trap. In a rope trap. It catches him <laughs> around the feet and yanks him up upside down. I and he's love like, his response. Help me get a knife, get a knife. And God she's like, damn whatever the main character like character's name is. God damn his wilderness bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and 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 he's like, You gotta get a knife and cut me down. And she's like, Well, maybe I will, maybe I won't. And she puts on her clothes and and she runs off to find a knife. In the meantime, while she's gone, he gets the backside of a machete drawn across his neck. Which, where did he get the machete from? Uh, whatever. I mean, my buddy Andy, he found a machete in the middle of the woods once. Jesus. Yeah, uh-huh. We kept it. <laughs> It's used for clearing brush. That could have been like a murder weapon. You're going to find it where there's brush. That's just, if you're going to find a machete anywhere, in any case, he uses the back end of the blade. So a machete kind of ever so gently curves on the bladed end. The flat end is not sharp. So he drags the flat end across his neck. 
bad effect, and that's dumb. And it's not the first time that Jason will hold the weapon incorrectly. <laughs> but this is the first of Jason's machete kills. Yes. That's the big one, and he does it wrong. <laughs> so we get to a scene with the main chick and her boyfriend, and she's like, I don't know, a psych major, and so she's trying to understand him psychologically, and the guy's like, who gives a shit? They're like at a bar. <laughs> they've gone into town. Yes. And some people have and some people haven't, and they've gone into town, and she just explains the whole fucking Jason concept. <laughs> Including his motives and everything just in one conversation at the bar. It's like, let's just get this out of the way. <laughs> if the killer is Jason, what happened to him? Why is he behaving the way he's behaving? What's going on? Yeah, and this whole thing's ridiculous, really. You know, two of our kids got bowled in today. Because five years ago, some girl uh, panics and falls out of a canoe. It's absurd. What if there is a Jason? Oh, bullshit, Jenny. No, what if there is some kind of boy or beast running around Camp Crystal Lake? I mean, let's try to think beyond the legend, put it in real terms. I mean, what would he be like today? Some kind of out-of-control psychopath? A child trapped in a man's body? <laughs> and you know, the only person I'd ever known was his mother. He never went to school, so he never had any friends. I mean, she was everything to him. I mean, I doubt Jason would have even known the meaning of death. Or at least until that horrible night. He must have seen the whole thing happen. He must have seen his mother get killed. And all just because she loved him. And he must be out there right now crying for a return. For resurrection. Well, what do you think? I think you're drunk. <laughs> but the guy brushes her off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that pisses her off. You know, Paul, I'm really serious about this, though. Jason's a legend, Jim. A legend. Back at the campsite, the dude in the wheelchair hears Is, something outside. Well, no, before that, he's still, the girl's still trying to get him. She's like, want a toke? And he's like, I'm in training. Yeah. <laughs> like, he won't, he won't drink, he won't smoke, he won't do anything. Uh-huh. He's good Christian boy. They're playing video games. She's really trying to get him in She's bed. She's doing anything she can. Anything she can. Is it just your legs that aren't working? You know? Yeah, <laughs> so... He's like, no, like, did he just realize that she wanted to have sex? Or is it just now that like, he's like, oh, you mean I don't actually have to actually date you? You just yeah. want to have sex with me? Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. So she's like, you wait here. So she goes to get into a sexy outfit and she puts on like brown panties. Yeah. She had black panties on. <laughs> she swaps them out for brown panties for some reason. Meanwhile, And he then she just douses herself in perfume. Yeah. Just psh, 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 yeah. psh, psh. Oh, we didn't say What's-Her-Face finds him, finds the dude hanging. I don't remember what happens to her. Do you remember what happens to her? The girl with the dog? She dies. She dies. I know she dies, but don't know how. I forget. Um, but dude in wheelchair goes outside in his wheelchair, goes down the ramp, doesn't see anything, goes back up the ramp, and on his way back up the ramp, gets the backside of the machete in his in his uh head i think it's his head or it's his shoulder or something i think it's his face right he gets the backside of the machete again in his face and then he rolls down the ramp and that's the only thing they use the wheelchair for meanwhile while he's falling down the stairs and dying we get a flash of the other couple who was in their truck earlier Having sex and then they orgasm like at the same time that he's dying. Yeah, it's weird. It, it just it really brings home 
kind of what Michael Haneke is trying to say about Americans, that we get off on watching people die. Yep. And it just brings that to the forefront. And I don't think it's necessarily a commentary at this point. I don't think so either. I think it's that that's what they thought we wanted. Yeah, it, well, I think it's supposed up. to be like a juxtaposition. I guess. You know, and and it makes the mark between, it makes the link between having sex and being killed, which is what Friday the 13th is all about. You know, in Scream, he talks about if you don't have sex or else you'll die. That's specifically the point of the Friday the 13th series. That's the one that popularized that. Yeah. So the main chick comes back with her boyfriend. And they see the place just not cleaned up. Everything is a mess. And they're just like, why would they have left everything? Like, they're like, they wouldn't have left it like this. Yeah. Something is wrong. Um, At some point, I don't, I don't have a note as to who this is, but he's carrying a butcher's knife, not a machete, a butcher's knife. And he holds it up to stab somebody and he's holding it upside down. If you were to hold the knife like that, right? So you have a fist, it's up in the air, and the blade's going forward. Would the blade be facing up or down? Down. Yes, down. He's holding it blade side up. I don't know why he doesn't know how to hold a weapon. I don't get it. Oh. <laughs> I didn't notice this stuff, so. <laughs> but that's three different times that he's holding the blade wrong. And they find, like, blood everywhere. Ginny finds Crazy Ralph, the harbinger, in the pantry. All kind of folded up. And then he falls out. That's where he was in the first movie, too. Doomed! And then he gets on his bike and runs away. <laughs> this time, though, he is dead. <laughs> she ends up hiding under the bed. As he's like stalking around the cabin. Yes. And and then she pisses herself. Yes. And this is a plot element here. Yes. Because he sees the urine. Yes. And that's how he finds her. I thought that that was, I don't know if that was innovative or kind of gross <laughs> that the main character pees themselves. And then that's like an element of the plot. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. So, so she's, she escapes through the bathroom window. Yes. And she does the whole keys, keys thing. Yeah. But she has them. But the car won't start. Womp, womp. But she makes it. She She's running away and she finds the same cabin that that sheriff found. Yeah. No, but it was before that. She has a chainsaw at some point because I wrote chainsaw for the win. Oh, the two cup, the couple who were having sex get a spear through the both of them. We didn't say that. It's a double kill. It's two for one. So she finds the shack, stumbles in on it, and when she goes into the room, we can see what the sheriff saw before, which is the dead body of Adrian King's character. Yeah, no, just the head. Just the head. No, no, no. The dead body. It's com it's decomposing dead body of Adrian King's character. We see the dead sheriff and we see the head of his mother 
Betsy Palmer's character sitting on top of a shrine with the sweater she was wearing laid out. How he would have gotten his hands on that sweater, I don't know. Nope. But he did. And knowing that Jason is outside and knowing she knows the story about Jason and what his motives are and how he might be crazy and a feral child, (laughs) she does one of the fucking ballsiest things ever. And she puts the sweater on. It's amazing. Why would you think that would work? And she fucking commits. Yes. She commits to this. When he finally makes it in, she's like, Jason, this is your mother. (laughs) Put that knife down right now. Jason! It's all done, Jason. You've done your job well and mommy is pleased. That's a good boy. Mommy has a reward for you. And then when he like goes to attack her, he's she's like, Jason, no. And like totally fucking commits to this. And he buys it. Yes. Jason, mother is talking to you. Jason, mother is talking to you. But it still doesn't totally work because when she moves, he sees the head of his mother. He's like, wait a minute, you're not my mommy. You're not my mother. (laughs) So that's the moment, though, when Paul comes out and just tackles Jason, which allows Ginny to get her hands on the machete. And even though she gets... um, attacked by a pickaxe in the leg or whatever, but she still gets her hands on the machete and just buries it in Jason's shoulder. Yes. Maybe he's dead. They don't check. They don't attack him again. They leave the weapon and they go back to the cabin. Yeah. And the boyfriend just kind of shows up and it's like, wait, where was he this whole time? He was attacked back in the cabin in the, in the main cabin, but he wasn't killed because Jason ended up chasing her to this cabin. So he followed. So now both Paul and Ginny are back at the main cabin and they think he's dead, but then they hear something outside. Cautiously, they go and they open the door and it's Muffin. There's Muffin. Muffin it's survived. It's Muffin. It's Muffin. It's a cutie. <laughs> Muffin, even though her mommy is dead. Aww. Aww. <laughs> Ginny is standing near a window and we get a iconic Friday the 13th shot very similar to Jason slow-mo coming out of the water and grabbing onto Adrian King, this time smashing through the window (laughs) without his mask, very similar deformed face to what it was in the first movie at the end, Mm -hmm. and grabbing her. And just like the first one, it cuts to the aftermath, which is Ginny being put into... An ambulance. Yeah. And. We don't get to see what happened. We have no idea what happened. We don't know what happened to Paul. We don't know what happened to Muffin. Mm-hmm. We have no idea. In the last one, it's just like, yeah, we fished you out of the lake. You fell in and we fished you out. There was no boy. And it's like, oh, man, the boy, he disappeared. Was he even there in the first place? <laughs> But now we have her being carried into an ambulance with 
no word of the other survivors or yeah. any explanation of anything. Like, it's a happens? little confusing. It's more than a little. <laughs> and then it cuts to a shot of Mrs. Voorhees, her head in the cabin, still, you know, as it zooms in, and then it fades to black. Yes. You'll notice that it looks like a head wearing makeup, a human head wearing makeup, and not a prop. That's because what was originally filmed was Mrs. Voorhees' eyes opening up. Oh. But Minor was like, that's a little cheesy. <laughs> and ended up cutting before the eyes open. So okay even though it was a real person under there, it was never actually used that way. Yeah. Kind of glad they did that. Yeah. No, no. That was definitely the right choice. Yes. So, yeah, I get that the ending is supposed to en- mimic the ending of the first movie, but at least they sort of explain what happened in the first movie, and they mm-hmm. really, really don't in this one. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what's up with that. All right, Kelsey, do you have any lightning round content? In the beginning, when we see the girl from the first movie, she, like, gets into the shower, and she's only in there for, like, a second, and then she, like, we watch her in there. It's not like it cuts away. It's not like it's telling us, oh, time has passed. It just stays on her behind the curtain for, like, a couple seconds, and then she tears it open and, like, looks at the camera. And it's very strange. There's some odd choices in this movie. Yes. When the girl is skitty dipping in the lake, there's a shot from underneath where you can see her legs. Very Jaws. Taken straight out of Jaws. When the girl goes to get all sexified for the boy in the wheelchair, she full-on leaves her her cabin in just her underwear. Yeah. Were you not expecting anyone else to be there? Like, at this point, you have no idea that people are dead. You're just walking around in your underwear. In your brown underwear. (laughs) Brown was sexy in the 80s, apparently. I I wish I could remember what the chainsaw is. No, yeah, she tries to fight him off in the cabin with a chainsaw. And he, like, falls over at one point. That's it for me. So, what do you think the movie got on Rotten Tomatoes? Considering the first one is only, like, at a 50-something, from what I remember, this one can't be any higher than that, so I'm going to guess 48. 32%. There you go. Actually lower on Metacritic at 26, which is nuts. That's kind of backwards. Usually for low-scoring Rotten Tomatoes movies, the Metacritic is higher. Mm-hmm. So, not very well loved, no. actually. Which is bizarre, because it's the first time you get Jason. Yeah. But, I mean, is it really until the 3D one next time? Oh, God, I love the 3D one. God, I want to <laughs> see it in 3D so bad. <laughs> uh, it's got to be playing in a theater somewhere, right? Well, they used to do it every single year at someone, some tiny theater in the U.S., but they don't do it anymore. Oh, uh, bummer. I... Would I'd say that's a little underrated. Yeah, I thought it was enjoyable. It's like I said, it's no amazing feat in cinema, but I enjoyed myself while right. I watched it. Um, I'm gonna give it a sixty-nine. Sixty-nine, dudes. Yeah, I'd probably give it like a sixty-five. I think. 
It was enjoyable. I think that's the word for it. It's enjoyable. It's a classic because it's the first time you see Jason and it explains everything you need to know about Jason right there in one set of dialogue in a bar. (laughs) So I guess, but it is a little nonsense. Yes. Tom Savini is quoted, the guy who did the makeup in the first movie, obviously famous makeup artist Tom Savini, asked the question, so is Jason living off crayfish by the pond for 35 years and nobody saw this weird kid? (laughs) Yep. That's the premise. We have to accept that in order to move on with the rest of this franchise. Uh, He's just an evil entity. That's all it is. Not yet. Right now, he's just a freak. Freak. Yeah. He clearly has mental disabilities. Yeah, but homicidal disabilities. Anyway, he... He's not, it's not supernatural yet, but it's definitely leaning in that direction, and it definitely goes there. Yes, it does. I have one word for you, Kelsey. Two words for you, actually. Demon worm. That is true. (laughs) Look, I I really enjoy three and four. I'm excited to do three and four. I'm not excited to do the rest of the series. The rest of the franchise is, is nonsense. It really is. There's there's a surprising number of movies here where Jason is not the killer. <laughs> In any case, that is Friday the 13th Part 2 from 1981. Before we move on to our next movie, Kelsey, Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. Yes. What surgical instrument does the resurrected Gage Creed steal from his father to commit his murders in 1989's Pet Cemetery? A scalpel. That is correct. It's how he cuts dude's Achilles tendon. Yes. (laughs) No, thank you. That's my next book I'm going to read. Yep. We're both going to read that one. Yes. Kelsey. Yes. This is in honor of Suspiria, which is coming out as of this recording right now, as of the launch of this episode last weekend. Yes. What type of supernatural beings run the Tans Dance Academy in Suspiria 1977? Witches. That is correct. Gotta see it. Yeah. I haven't seen it in years. I've heard very good things about it. I've also heard this is one of those remakes that's not trying to just be another one of the original. It is different. It's pointless to watch the original before you watch the remake. Oh. They okay, so, never mind then. <laughs> so they say. I was just saying I should see it because I haven't seen it in years, so. Right. It's it's not going to be like a funny games where it's beat for beat. You know, it's it's a different movie with the same with a similar premise. Moving on to our next movie, 2014's It Follows, yet another movie where a killer stalks you for having sex. Written and directed by David Robert Mitchell and starring Maka Monroe, Keir Gilchrist, and Olivia Licardi. Kelsey, what is It Follows about? Mean. That. It's you about basically that. basically just said it. <laughs> Look, I I mean, like, I love this movie. I'm going to gush about this movie, but that's essentially what it is. There is a killer that comes after you slowly if you have sex. (laughs) Yes. We saw this movie in 2015. What was the day we saw it again? It was like March 21st. 
Something like that, because we have pictures of us on that date watching, uh, going to watch It Follows. And before we saw it, the people who run the theater where we saw it came out and told us about it. And we're like, listen, this had a very, very limited run. And then it was going to release on video on demand. But in its limited run, where I was playing in very small number of theaters in L.A. and New York, did very well. Like it got a lot of buzz and people were really interested in seeing it. That's why Kelsey was like, Hey, I heard about some movie called it follows. <laughs> we should go out to this theater and see it. There's they were doing a midnight launch. Yeah. One last showing before it released worldwide. And he was telling the story about how they tried to take the copy away from us. In fact, other theaters that were going to do it as well, do the same thing. They actually gave up. And they said, okay, yeah, and, we and show sent it. the film back. And mm-hmm. then they would get another copy in the future, like a week later when the thing was actually going to release. And instead, they negotiated with the yeah, they production back company down because they had they had done so well. They had pretty much everyone in there had pre bought. Yeah. Uh huh. And and they couldn't, and they'd have to shut it down, and then it would look, it would be a bad look. And so they ended up convincing. So they were like the only theater in the world playing this movie (laughs) that weekend. And, and so we, uh, we went and saw it, and we fucking loved it. And we were, we were gushing about it to people when it was like, hey, this movie came out of nowhere. (laughs) It's out this weekend now. And we're like, yes, you guys have to go see this movie. It was really good. So I'm really excited to talk about it this time. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it, like Kelsey says, that's pretty much the premise. <laughs> Some being stalks you and it can look like anybody. It can look like someone you know, it, someone you don't know. Whatever would help it get closer to you. It is slow, but it is not dumb. And it just constantly walks towards you and tries to kill you until you have sex and then it stalks the person you had sex with. But if it can kill that person, it'll Sexually go back to following you. killer. Yes. But there are arguments that that's not what this movie is about. So we'll talk about that when we talk about It Follows. So you can see it or not, but we would recommend you do. When we get back, we'll talk about 2014's It Follows. Wherever you are, it's somewhere walking straight for you. Critics and audiences agree. It could look like someone you know, or it could be a stranger in a crowd. It Follows is the best horror movie in over a decade. Whatever helps it get close to you. (gasps) Do not watch this alone. It Follows. All you can do is pass it along to someone else. Rated R, now playing. Kelsey, get us started. What happens in It Follows? We open on a girl running out. Uh, she's in red heels, and she looks like she was going to bed, but she looks like she was out having a fun time. And she's running away from something that we can't see. And her dad's trying to help her, and her neighbor's trying to help her, but she just keeps looking at something that we can't see and says, I don't need any help. She gets into her car and drives away to a beach, and she just sits there, kind of like she gave up. And she calls her dad, and she apologizes for being a shitty daughter. Dad, I I love you. I know. I know. I just wanted you and Mom to know how much I love you. 
Dad, I'm sorry I can be such a shit to you sometimes. I don't know why I do that. Just know that I love you, okay? I just really love you both. And then the next shot is her dead in a very gruesome way. Yep. Throughout this whole scene, there's been epic music playing, and that epic music will continue throughout the rest of the film. Yeah, Disaster Piece. Yes. Um, Disaster Piece is a chiptunes artist who I know from from Fez, which is a video game that he did the soundtrack for. And apparently that's where David Robert Mitchell, the writer and director of It Follows, also knows him from. And asked him to do the soundtrack for his film. And it is superb. It's one of my all-time favorite horror movie soundtracks. I absolutely love it. He uh, He's also done other video games like uh, Hyperlight Drifter or Reigns. Very, very good. I bought this soundtrack. I liked it so much. It's pretty dope. Disaster Piece is uh, really awesome. It's very, very good. And... Um... It's a little evocative, I would say, of not only it like take John Carpenter and then make it chiptune and you have disaster piece. What does chiptune mean? Chiptunes are like it's a style of music that sounds like it's played on the audio chip of like a video game. It feels it sounded like a synth to me the whole yeah, time. Yeah, but it's the specific sounds that that synth is making is part of the limited palette that the chips that were on video game cartridges could store. And so... If you've ever seen Stranger Things... Oh, Stranger Things opening. Yeah. Totally, like, ripped off. I said it the very first time we ever put Stranger Things on. Immediately, I was just like, wow, somebody ripped off the music from It Follows. Yeah. So it's not actually from the 80s, but it's no. certainly it's supposed to sound like it is, but it's even better because now we have better technology. Uh, and it's it's just it's fabulous throughout the entire film. This music will keep the tension going much the same way, like Chris said, as the music in Halloween keeps the tension going. Yeah. Okay, so then we get to meet our main girl. 
Her name is Jay. So Jay is this very pretty blonde girl. She's really, really pretty. I'm surprised she hasn't done more things. She's done a few things. Has she? Yeah, Makeup Monroe. She's done a few small things. So she is talking to her sister, and they're talking about how she's going to go out with some guy tonight and how they both like him. And her sister is hanging out with their two best friends, a boy who lives across the street and a girl that they're friends with. And when she walks in, they're watching this old 1950s movie called Killers from Space. And a lot of the things within the household look like they're straight out of the 80s. But at the same time, the friend who is a girl who is sitting on the couch is looking at what is obviously like a cell phone, only it's like a clamshell, so it makes you think it's from like the a, 80s, but of it's course- It's like a compact, too. Yes. Like a makeup compact. Yes. And she's bas- she's reading a book on her little clamshell phone. She's reading Dostoevsky's The Idiot. Yes. And when you start to put all of this together- the way they dress is very clearly of today's standards. Yeah. All the maybe, stuff. Maybe, maybe. Most of the stuff within their household is looks like it's from the 80s. But then she's got this technology that they clearly didn't have back then. And the cars are all from different time periods. And they clearly did that on purpose. Yeah. It's um, very clearly internally, like, self-anachronistic. Yes. Uh, it's very surreal. Um, and it keeps it kind of where... Evergreen? Yes. It doesn't matter when it takes place. It doesn't matter when you watch it in the future, because it mixes all of these time periods, and yeah. I love that about it. Hey, I have an idea. What? He got away. She goes out on a date with this guy, and they are going to see a movie, and while they're there, she says, let's play the trade game. You pick somebody... And the other person has to guess who you would like to trade lives with. She has him go first, and she can't figure it out, and he tells her the little boy. And he says, how cool would it be to have your whole life ahead of you? Mm -hmm. It's a minor theme in the movie about returning to innocence. Yes, but also just so that you can make better choices. Yeah. You can go back and think to yourself... I'm not going to do that because that's going to cause me anguish. But, well, yeah, we'll talk about later on in this conversation about how the the whole STD factor is not the overarching theme of the movie. Yeah. The movie's more just about, in general, death and how death is looming always. And being able to go back and be young and maybe not take your life for granted this time is really what he's talking about here. Yes. And appreciate your time. Exactly, yeah. Appreciate when you're a kid and you didn't have any – because everyone does that right now. I mean, think about how when you were a kid and you just had all the fucking time in the world and you could do anything. And you absolutely – all you could do was wait. and Like, you just couldn't wait until you were older and could do whatever you wanted. You didn't realize you were already kind of doing whatever you wanted. (laughs) Exactly. Now, we've basically already spoiled what's going to happen. So I'm going to bring up a big, big question that I have. Okay. He knows exactly what he's doing. He is preparing this girl so that he can use her, basically. And during the trade game, she's like, okay, I picked my person when they're sitting there about to watch the movie. And he turns and he points at somebody that we can't see and says, I bet you want to be her. And she's like, who? I don't see anybody there. And he's like, oh, we got to go. Why would you pick a movie theater? 
That is this small, compact space. This is because, well, number one, he says that never go anywhere that has only one exit. Movie theaters have multiple exits. Right. This lends to the theory that I think he wasn't anticipating. When she says, who are you talking about? He doesn't immediately go, oh, shit, we got to get out of here. He's like, no, the girl right there in the yellow dress. And she's like, I don't see anybody in yellow dress. And then it dawns on him. If he was thinking he's being followed right now, it wouldn't have taken him that long. I think he's comfortable because he's already passed it on to somebody else. I think he wants to start a relationship with Jay. Maybe in the back of his mind, it's, and just in case, I can pass it on to her. But I think he's a little hopeful that it might have left him and now he can maybe have another relationship That's why he's not just meeting somebody at a bar, which we see people effectively do in this movie. And he could. He's a good-looking guy. He could just pick up somebody in a bar. So then why does he live in a dilapidated house on purpose, lies to her about where where he comes from, has the house all set up so that if anything gets inside, he'll hear it? Right, but when was the last time he was there? He's been there at some point, yeah. During the time when he was dating her. And maybe slept with somebody else during that time. And I think, I think, I think, I'm not certain, I didn't go back and check it, so if I'm wrong, uh, leave a comment. Send an email, write to us on Twitter. I think the girl who died in the beginning is the girl we see in his photograph from high school when they later go to his place. I think he's the one who passed it on to her, and then it killed her, and now it's back to him again. And he's not expecting it to come to him because he had already passed it on. Or maybe she's the one who gave it to him or something. I don't know. I don't know. But in any case, I don't think he's ex- he's anticipating being stalked right now, which explains why he's not just using her to pass it on because if that was his only goal, he could have just picked her up in a bar. That's my theory. Yes, Chris and I disagree very thoroughly on this. <laughs> I'm not going to get into it. We just, we disagree. And I <laughs> do not think that's what's happening. I think he is prepping this girl. And I think the reason that he is dating her is so that he can tell her exactly what he does tell her in the way that he does. So that he can hopefully get her to stave it off. Anyway, they end up going to eat. Um, after that. So the next day, uh, she's telling her sister about their, uh, their date. And she's saying, you know, he was acting kind of weird. Something is wrong. And they pass by their neighbor who does live across the street. And there's obviously some awkward tension between her and him. And whatever. So then she goes on another date with the guy. And this is when they finally have sex for the first time in the back of his car. And while she is back there talking to him, he sneaks up behind her and knocks her out with chloroform. She wakes up in a parking structure and she is tied to a wheelchair. And he tells her, you're not going to believe me, but I need need you to to remember remember what I'm saying. This thing, it's going to follow you. Somebody gave it to me and I passed it to you back in the car. It could look like someone you know, or it could be a stranger in a crowd. Whatever helps it get close to you. It could look like anyone, but there's only one of it. Sometimes, sometimes I think it looks like people you love just to hurt you. You can get rid of it, okay? Just 
sleep with someone as soon as you can. Just pass it along. If it kills you, it'll come after me. Do you understand? Never go into a place that doesn't have more than one exit. It's very slow, but it's not done. And he, he, the reason he has taped her up is not because he wants to hurt her in any way, but because he wants to make sure that she sees it so that she is more inclined to believe him, which is exactly what, if you were going to do this, you would need to do that because as we see later, when she passes it on to random people, it doesn't work because they are not prepared for it to come after them. Yeah, uh-huh. She, he drops her off at home. She's terrified. It was a horrible experience. The cops come. And there's obviously something wrong with her mother. We never get to see her mother, but there's obviously something There wrong. is a big, big theme of broken families in this. Yes. That just permeates throughout the movie. The whole movie takes place in Detroit, which uh, many people consider to be effectively a broken city. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they walk past the rundown beautiful properties that have been run down because they've been abandoned. And so, like, abandonment is a theme that we see here. We never see the mom. We see the mom almost like almost like an adult in a, in a Peanuts cartoon or something. Yeah, like, we never see her face clearly. We know she exists, but she obviously doesn't care, and she's obviously not connected very much. No, she she definitely cares. She's no, on the she, phone telling her about how worried she She's on the phone with somebody about how worried she is. At one point, we see her stroking her daughter's back. Yeah, at one point, the glass in the kitchen breaks and shatters, and she's nowhere to be found. Like, she's if she's if she doesn't if she cares she's at the very least not there i didn't even describe what she sees so sorry yeah when she is strapped down to the wheelchair she sees a naked woman coming towards her and it's simply just walking and as we explained he tells her don't go anywhere that has that doesn't have more than one exit etc and so she knows what to be looking for even though she doesn't exactly believe in it so And this is a really cool effect that we have here where, you know, you've seen in movies before where obviously the actor is wearing a harness of some kind where the camera is in front of them and they're like running or they're panicking and the camera is very firmly attached to their person and you can see the background shaking behind them. In this, it's very firmly attached to the wheelchair. And so when she's struggling, it shakes. And when he's carting her around, it follows her around. I thought that was a pretty creative shot. Yes, I agree. So after she has um, kind of freaked out about this whole thing, she finally gets it back in her to go back to school. While she's in class, she looks out the window just like in Halloween. Mm -hmm. But instead of the person just standing there, the person is slowly walking towards her. And it's an old woman in like an, a hospital gown that's open, and so you can see exposed breasts. There's a lot of nakedness in this film, usually because you can imagine that it's probably taking on the uh, persona of a person who had it in the past. But at the same time, the guy that she went on the date with did tell her, sometimes it will look like someone you know. Yeah. I think it does that just to hurt you. That's what he says. Yeah. So she notices that nobody else seems to be seeing this this lady walking by. And so she freaks out, so she leaves the classroom. And the person just keeps coming. Not running, nothing like that, just slowly walking towards her. 
and she runs home. Or she runs to the yogurt place, which is where her sister and Paul, the guy who has a crush on her, their friend, they both work there together. And she explains, and they're just like, you know, he was crazy. You can't, you can't listen to the shit that he was saying to you. And she's like, well, I don't know. Something weird is happening. And Paul is like, oh, I could stay over if that would make you feel better. And they're just like, no. <laughs> and he's like, I would stay on the couch. And uh, Jay's like, all right, fine. So he is, and uh, the two other girls, the sister and the friend, are asleep, but Jay can't fall asleep. So she goes and sits down on the couch, and there's this whole little subplot of Paul having a huge crush on Jay. And, like, there's just little things. Like, she sits on the couch, and, like, her toes get slightly close to him. And It's a very intimate portrait of, like, childhood affection. Like, not only just what we see on the screen, but the stories they tell. And you get a really, really clear impression, a little, almost a little bit nostalgic, whether you experience something similar or not, of what it's like to, you know, maybe like someone when you're younger. Yes. Yes. Even when her toes get near him, he has this look on his face like he's really in love with her. Yeah. But he says, you know, it's really cool spending time with you. You know, I'm sad that we don't anymore. And she's like, well... You know how I was your first, how you were my first kiss? I found out that my, you were my sister's first kiss too. Yeah, you kiss sisters. That's kind of gross. <laughs> yeah, like, I understand that she says it with a smile and kind of jokingly, but it's like, dude, you fucked up. Uh-huh. You don't just get to go around making out with everybody and expect <laughs> one girl to be like, all right, that's cool. No. Right, yeah. And while they're talking, a rock gets thrown through the kitchen window. And he goes to check on it, and he's like, there's nobody here. But she's freaking out. And he runs, I think she runs upstairs. No, and he runs upstairs to get the sister to call the cops or something like that. And while he does that, she sees another naked girl who is, like, peeing herself walking towards her. And she looks like she's been beaten up. Yeah. And so this, and so Jay runs back up the stairs and barricades herself in the room. And Paul and her sister are banging on the door saying, what are you doing? There's nobody out here. And she lets them in. And then the friend comes and knocks again. Yara. And she goes to let her in. And this is when, I think this was the time when I screamed in the movie theater. It was either this or at the beach later. Uh, but a very tall man all of a sudden appears behind the friend. And she runs out of the house and grabs a bike and rides over to the nearest park. While she's doing this across the street, uh, her neighbor is smoking a joint with a girl in his car. And they see this happen and then they see the other three run after her. Yeah. So they all go to the park and she's just telling them what happened And all of a sudden, somebody is walking up and she says, do you see him? Do you see him? And they're like, yeah, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, we see him. (laughs) And it's her neighbor. And they explain what's happening. And then without saying anything, he just turns. And they're like, what are you leaving? He's like, no, somebody's got to drive, right? And I think there's just this really cute, like Chris said, nostalgia inducing friendship here. Yeah, uh uh-huh. 
It's your childhood friends who know you better than anybody else, who, when you need them, they're there. Right. There's a lot of, I mean, even with Greg, who's like, no, I'm going to go get the car. We're going to, we're going to support her. He outright says, so the movie first gives an impression, and then he outright says he doesn't believe her. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't matter. This is what she needs right now. It's very sweet. And it's not really like, it's kind of out of character for the character that we're presented with with him. Well, that's why he's the one that's like, I don't believe you. Right. But he still is just like, whatever you need, I'm there. I think the the implication there, again, we have these sort of vivid implied stories, is that he's always kind of had a thing for her. And he went in one direction and she went in another direction. And now there's a moment where they might be able to reconnect. I do think that Greg is an opportunist, though. Yes. And he is going to take advantage of this. Yes. But I still don't think he has, like, bad intentions. No, 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 no. No, not at all. So, they're like, what should we do? And she's like, I guess we can go to his house. And so they go there, and it's an abandoned house. Um, There are hanging bottles um, in front of all of the windows, showing us, like, a trap situation where if the thing comes in, he'll know that it's there. Uh, They find prescription bottles and stuff like that all over the place. So probably telling us he has a lot of anxiety. Yeah. Or he's um, keeping himself awake or, you know. Something yeah. like that. At one point, and this part I know got me, she's in a bathroom. Yeah. And the the mirror falls and you can see her sister in the it's, other room. Is it her sister or is it Yara? It might be Yara. Uh-huh. And that made me scream oh, in the yeah, theater because uh-huh. I was not expecting anything scary to happen. It's a very quiet moment, and then there's a loud bang. But it's there's an immediate resolution to it. It's not like it feels more natural than a fake scare, which is like, come on, movie, in real life, this wouldn't have been scary. But your music sting and the way you were framing it. No, this isn't fr- – it's, it's not priming you to be scared or anything. It's just this calm, quiet moment, and then, bam, something falls. You're scared like Jay is scared. What movie did that make you think of? Uh, Candyman. Yeah. Yeah, with the holes through the walls from the medicine cabinets. From the cheaply made houses. Uh-huh. So Paul goes into what is obviously where he was sleeping, like his bedroom. And he finds a stack of Playboy Porno magazines mags. with some used tissues. Yep. Men are so disgusting. Yep. Just so gross. And he just... Pushes them aside like it's nothing. Uh huh. Not like a. <laughs> oh my god! But he opens one up, and inside is a picture of the guy that Jay was dating and some girl, and he is wearing a jacket, a Letterman jacket, and that is how they know which high school to go to to check out their yearbooks. So they do, and they find out who he is. And then they go to the house where he actually lives with his mom. And he's like, look, I can still see it. He basically explains, re-explains the situation to her. He's just like, you know, you got to pass it on. That's all I can tell you. I don't know how else to get rid of it. But look, I'm in danger as well. If it kills you, it'll come after me. So I hope that you pass it on to somebody else. Yeah. You're a girl. It'll be easier for you. Which, again, is another reason why I think he was prepping her. Because he full-on says that. You're a girl. It'll be easier. You can have sex with anybody. Look, even though it's following you, 
I can still see it. It's not done with me either, okay? And like I told you, all you can do is pass it along to someone else. Look, she could do the same thing I did. I mean, it should be easy for her. She's a girl. Any guy would be with you. Just sleep with someone else and tell him to do the same thing. Maybe it'll never come back. Look, I'm not safe either, okay? I mean, we, we shouldn't even be in the same place. I, I'm sorry, you guys need to get the fuck out. Hey, watch it. If it kills her, it gets me. It goes straight down the line to whoever started it. Jay, I'm sorry. I wasn't trying to hurt you, okay? Someone did this to me too, okay? Who did it to you? I met a girl at a bar. It was one night stand. I, I don't even remember her name. I think that's where it came from. Jeff, I don't believe you. I know she might, but I think you're a fucking liar. What are you doing to her? Some fucked up shit. Do you guys see that girl right there? Yeah? Uh -huh. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay, good. Listen, wherever you are, it's somewhere walking straight for you. But it is walking. If you drive far enough, you could buy yourself some time to think, decide if you want to give it to someone else. Greg suggests that, hey, listen, my parents or my mom has a place on the beach at the lake, and we can hang out there for a while. And it's far enough away where we're going to have to drive. And they're like, isn't your mom going to care? And he's like, my mom's not going to know. <laughs> Again, broken families. Yes, and... The nerd definitely, Paul definitely notices that Jay and the guy across the street are connecting Greg. at this point. And that right. makes him very sad. Again, no mention of Paul's family or Yara's family giving a rat's ass that they're not going home this entire time. Mm -hmm. It's around this time that I wrote how beautiful and well shot this movie is. Yeah. It really is. Just every shot is so wonderfully placed. And that coupled with the music, yeah. it kind of lulls you into this calming sense where you like that there are these long extended shots. A little melancholic, which again evokes that nostalgic feeling. It's nostalgic for anyone no matter what the time because like we said earlier, it's anachronistic within itself. Yes. It could be any time. This is just a beautiful movie mm -hmm. where really not a lot happens. It's just, it's just so good. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so they're talking. They're going to go to sleep, I think, at this point at the, ho at the house they get there. And this is we when we find out that the neighbor and Jay had a thing in high school. Uh, um, he says something about, you know, I just, I lived right across the street. And she goes, I remember and he says, I guess I should have been nicer to you back then. Mm -hmm. So next day, they are sitting on the beach. And the sister is wearing a tube top that has a bright um, Hawaiian flower on it. Which I don't have the exact same tube top. But my one of my tube tops from mm -hmm. high school looks almost on point. And she's wearing these like Daisy Duke jean shorts. And, and these, knee highs. Like thigh high socks. It's the cutest like, thing. Like like wool socks like thigh highs yeah it's a really cute look it's a really cute outfit. um and so jay and kelly the sister and paul are sitting just around in a in a ring of of chairs did you notice what the neighbor is wearing 
<laughs> he has like this 90s blue and white button up with these huge uh, Chinese dragons on it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so funny. And, and Yara's nowhere. And Greg, the neighbor, gets up and he goes to take a piss. And as they're talking, we see Yara come from uh, a pathway in the bushes and she comes walking up on nonchalant like she's going to be rejoining the group. And then when it cuts to a different angle that we've seen before, we see Yara in a bathing suit in an inner tube floating into the camera. And as she slowly floats into the camera in the background, we're also slowly like, hey, wait a minute. (laughs) Say, come on into the water, guys. It's nice. And then Kelly says, you want to? And we see uh, Jay and all of a sudden her hair is being held up. Yes. And so she's being attacked. That other Yara was it. And Paul picks up a chair and smashes it against nothing. And then he gets shoved away. Jay manages to get loose and Yara's come in from the from the lake and they run off and they're screaming. And Greg is like, hey, what's going on? And then they go into the, the boathouse and... She gets a gun. Jay gets a gun that she found in there earlier. And then she sticks out the front and she just starts firing at the it Yara. And Greg is still out there. (laughs) And so all Greg is seeing right now, this is happening in front of him. But remember, all Greg is seeing is Jay freaking out and firing a gun at him. (laughs) He didn't see any of the kerfuffle before with the hair, with the chair, throwing Paul None of that. So eventually it it gets hit in the neck and then it falls down and then gets back up again. And it bursts through the door that they have locked. And This is when a little kid comes. Through. It's not through a door. It's through a little hole in the wall. In the wall, yeah. And that I, it was either that or it was the tall man that made me jump. Yeah. And... She goes out through the sliding door that the boat would be going out through and, and runs she runs to, the, to car. the car and she gets on the street and when she's looking to like what dial 911 or something she's looking at something I think something. she's just looking in the rearview mirror. Yeah, a truck pulls out of its own driveway, she swerves to miss it, drives through a mailbox and into some corn crashing the car and obviously breaking her arm. Mm-hmm. She wakes up in the hospital. This is around the time when I wrote I love the colors and the framing. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's just so pretty. Just the entire thing is just so well put together. I love it. So then it's clear that her and the neighbor from across the street are like, all right, time to see if it'll come after you. So they have sex in the hospital bed. And we start to see him climb into the bed from outside the room through a window where the curtain is drawn open and then when we're in the room with them and they're obviously having sex you can you can't see the open window but you can see the curtain scrunched up so yes they're just fucking in a hospital room with the window wide open (laughs) (laughs) also we never saw him take off his pants no did you notice that (laughs) no he just kind of yeah anyway you may wonder why does he do this obviously he wants to have sex with her of course he does yeah But how can he not believe it? Well, we know he was peeing when all that other stuff happened. All he saw was her shooting at him and then driving off like she's nuts. But also, he does immediately pass it on, or at least that's implied. 
because the next shot we see of him, he's talking to some rando in the cafe at the hospital and flirting with her. Which is probably why it takes so long for it to come after him. Exactly. I'm thinking if he doesn't believe in it, why does he still pass it on anyway? I think maybe it's his fear. He has a little bit of a fear that this is real. And it's like a just-in-case sort of thing, well, combined with his desire to help her, even if it isn't real. He can't right? He can't deny the fact that everyone else is saying, we saw the chair break in midair, and something hit Paul. Yeah. We can't, he can't deny that. He can't say, no, you didn't. And like, and like you say, it does, the idea that he does pass it on does explain why it takes him, them, why it takes it so long to track him down afterwards. Because three days later, she asks yeah. him, have you seen it yet? And he goes, no. And when the when the friends, when Paul and Yara and Kelly are asking him about it, he can't explain it. He says he doesn't believe it. And they're like, so what is it? He can't explain it. And he just walks away. Yeah, he's kind of like, see you guys. And he scoffs and he just walks away. You really haven't seen anything? Nope. She didn't make it up. We'll know sooner or later, right? That chair broke in midair. I, I mean, something knocked me over and the door didn't break on its own. Look, something happened, but it's not what she thinks, okay? What do you think it was then? I'll see you guys. Hi, Greg. Hi. And when people do that, it's simply because they have no explanation. And it's obvious that to to comfort themselves, they need to reject this concept yes. and they need to not interrogate it. Yes. So he's at home. Jay's inside her house and she sees him walking down the sidewalk and she's like knocking on the door. Hey, I'm up here and it doesn't look. She knocks and waves and then it tries the front door and it can't get in. And then just mindlessly like it's sleepwalking, it nonchalantly picks up a rock and throws it at the window. And that's when she knows Holy shit, he's in trouble. She tries calling, doesn't get a response, runs out there, climbs in the window too, and when she makes it to the hall, she sees a woman, not Greg, pounding on the door. And it looks at her and turns back around and pounds on the door. It has no interest in her right now. And again, even though it's not after her, she can see it now because she's been infected in the past. And... It's banging on the door, and she sa says to Greg, Greg, don't open the door. And he opens the door, and he's like, Mom, what the fuck? <laughs> and then she jumps at him. Yes. And she cautiously walks down the hall and looks in to see what's happening, and Greg's on the floor, and she's on top of him, basically fucking him to death. And then you see his face, and he's already dead. And so she runs off. Well, now fucking Greg's dead. He didn't believe it and he didn't he wasn't cautious enough and it obviously killed whoever he passed it on to. So she drives off to the beach, much like the girl at the beginning did. Yeah. And she's sitting there and she falls asleep and when she wakes up she can hear rock music and she sees boys out on a boat in the middle of the water, and it is implied that she sleeps with one because here's her idea now is to just get rid of it to somebody else. Except She doesn't do what you did. No. Obviously it doesn't last very long. Paul talks to her at some point after this about how he's like, why did you pick Greg? And it's it's kind of shitty that Paul feels entitled to be the one that she passes it on to because he cares about her. 
And her response. Nice guy syndrome. Yeah, it's it's definitely a little bit of that nice guy syndrome. It's fine to be disappointed. It's fine to be like bummed that you didn't get the thing that you wanted. But to feel entitled to it, it's kind of shitty. It goes away like right away. They kind of don't broach that again but not really because he tries to kiss her yes he does you're right and that's really upsetting because he's interested in her i get that i also get that he wants to protect her i understand that but it's like dude i only slept with him because i needed someone to take this thing away from me and And now you're trying to be romantic right now Uh now is not the fucking time yeah paul is a real awkward dude and he makes some bad decisions when it comes to love, and it's kind of shitty. So they come up with a plan of what to do instead of her passing it on to anybody else. And as they're leaving to go enact this plan, she sees a naked man standing on her roof. Which, sometimes it just stands there. So it explains what happened in the theater when it was just standing there in the yellow dress. It might Take time to think. Anyway, they go to like a public swimming pool or a school swimming pool or something like that. A big swimming pool. And this is their brilliant plan. Jay goes in the swimming pool and they plug in a bunch of electric appliances all around the pool in the hopes that when the thing comes... It'll follow her into the pool. She can climb out. They'll throw all the electric shit in and electrocute it to death. Except the movie itself shows us that wouldn't work. Not only like would the breakers in the facility not allow that enough electricity to pass through that large of a body of water to hurt something, But they're plugging it into, like, surge protectors as an extension cord and to get more outlets. And it's like, that's the function of a surge protector. That's why it's called a surge protector. It is ultimately a plan that is doomed to fail. And it does. But it's also the kind of plan that young people that are desperate would come up with. (laughs) So there's that. But it does teach them something. That they can't kill it. But it also teaches them that they can hurt it. Yes. They shoot it. So it throws a billion things at her. Ultimately, their plan just puts her in more danger, but whatever. It comes in. She says, I see it. I see it. And they're trying to track it down. And instead of getting in the pool, it picks up one of the appliances and throws it in the pool. And the lights flash a little bit, but it shorts out and it's not working. Obviously, because Jay doesn't die. Yeah, so that's how they find out that their plan would have not worked anyway. Yeah. But they have a gun, and she keeps telling them where to shoot. And unfortunately, in this in the kerfuffle, uh, Yara gets shot in the leg. Yeah, but it's a, a flesh su- wound. But it's, <laughs> it's just a flesh wound. <laughs> I'll bite your kneecaps off. <laughs> uh, so, but what they discover is that it can be hurt. So they shoot it, and it does stop, and then it falls into the pool eventually. Um, It grabs onto her leg, but she's able to get out. Oh, my God, that's an amazing shot. There is this subaquatic shot, I guess you could say. It's really wide-angle shot of 
Jay trying to swim forward and out of the pool, but she can't because she's being held by this thing that we get a really good look at this time around of who it is. And it's holding her by the leg. And Paul is outside the water, firing shots into the water, trying to hit just behind Jay. It's this gorgeous shot of these bullets streaming through the water. And one of them does, in fact, hit it right in the head. And it lets go and it sinks. And the water comes red with blood. But not before there's this, like, they're like, well, is it still there? Where is it? And she climbs forward and it's this really great pseudo POV shot where you're kind of seeing what she sees. You can see her arms in front, but the camera is pointed straight down, like vertically down. And you're getting that sense of I'm approaching the edge of the pool. What am I going to see? And you see... Nothing. It's just the empty pool. And then the cloud of blood starts coming in. And it that's another really gorgeous shot in a movie full of them. It's gone. Or at least it can't be found in the cloud of blood. Yes. And so what they've learned is that they can... Slow it down at slow least. Slow it down. Yeah. But... They can't kill it. Things that would normally kill something can't kill this thing. Yes. And what does that teach us? If if the thing, if it, is kind of representative of looming death, it's that you can't escape death. That's what we've learned. So what do they do then? They go to the hospital for Yara. And while in the hospital, they uh, she just kind of decides, all right, I'll sleep with Paul and pass it on to him. And Paul finds a prostitute. He considers giving it to someone else, but they don't show him doing it. He's driving and he passes by very specifically. Yeah, a prostitute standing on the corner and we see them looking at each other, but we don't see what happens. Right. But it's implied because he's not he's not worried. He knows he's passed it on to somebody else. And at the very least, in his mind, he's there with her and he'll die before she does, giving her whatever time she needs. It ends with the two of them walking hand in hand and you can see someone behind them walking and you don't know if it's supposed to be it or a person. Right. It's it's really two shots, right? So the second to last shot is they're walking on the sidewalk, they're holding hands, and they're walking towards the camera. And you see somebody far off in the distance also walking. It could be it, it could not be. You don't know, and that's the point. You'll never know. You don't know when death is going to come for you. The actual last shot after that is the reverse of that. And now the camera is following them from behind. It doesn't matter if the thing following following them is it. What matters is it could be, and you wouldn't know. The camera is following close behind them as that looming death. And that is us. We are following them as well. Or you could say we are walking with them, with death following close behind us. The shot with them walking towards the camera with uh, their hands held together, that really reminded me of uh, the end of Battle Royale. Okay. When yeah. the two teens are walking away and they they say we we have nothing else to do but run. Yeah. It's kind of the exact same idea. Yeah. And I think 
this movie is we have movies where at the end we're like okay what now like movie you put us in a an impossible position where where the hero is left off they might have succeeded against this trouble but like fucking what now they're going to go to prison or you know like all this other stuff like it's not like the day is any better for them after this that is the point of the end of this movie the what now is the point you just don't know Mm-hmm. So, lightning round. There's a uh, funny scene r- as they're driving out to the pool. They're talking about, ha- like, different experiences they had. You know, like, that was where I had my first beer. That's where I got my first kiss or whatever. And they go, you know, Paul used to pee in the pool. And he goes, whatever, there's chlorine. <laughs> nice. As if he still does it. Did you believe the stories when you were little of the dye in the pools that would change color if you peed in it? I've never heard that before. Really? Yeah. Oh, I definitely heard that. It's a thing that does, like, it's in movies even. And, like, in comedies or whatever. And it's not a thing. It doesn't exist. But it's a thing you tell kids to prevent them from being in the pool because they think they're being sly. It definitely worked for me when I was a kid. (laughs) There's also uh, the... So Yara, the friend, is always reading, right? Yeah. And when they're in the hospital, she reads them this long passage. And it's got all these big words. And it's something that if you were to say it in front of my students, they they would have checked out, like, right away, right? And I'm listening to it, and I'm breaking it down as a teacher would, thinking about how I would explain it to my students. And all I was left with was... So death sucks? That's it? It's yes. it's from J. Alfred Prufrock, right? No, the, the, the quote in the school is from J. Alfred Prufrock. Oh. The quote from Yara is still from Dostoevsky's The Idiot. And it goes like this. This is how it ends. The, the most terrible, terrible agony, agony may not be in the wounds themselves. May not be themselves. in the wounds themselves, but in knowing for certain that within an hour... Then within 10 minutes, and within half a minute, and now, at this very instant, your soul will leave your body, and you will no longer be a person. And that, this is certain. The worst thing is that it is certain. Which just, if you boil it down, if you deconstruct it, all it's saying is... We're going to die and that sucks. And it's the it's the point of the movie, though, is that death is certain and it's coming for us all and it's wrestling with that fact. So what's funny is that he uses all this beautiful language to explain that and he makes it kind of long winded. And what it just boils down to is death sucks. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of the same thing with this movie is this movie is so gorgeous Beautiful sound, beautiful score, beautiful um, shots, good acting, well written. But what it just, like you said, when you boil it down, you deconstruct it, it's just saying death is coming. Yep. Yeah. And and that's it. That's the thesis of this movie. It's a, it's a very simple thesis and everything about it is lending to that same thesis. It's just funny to me that movies get away with that. 
a lot more than authors do nowadays. Well, the idiot apparently did. I guess that's not nowadays, though. That's Dostoevsky. No, I'm just saying that people don't have patience to read anymore. Yeah. They don't have patience to sit there and deconstruct what it says. They just hear a bunch of words they don't know, and they just say, what a bunch of bullshit, I don't know. But with a movie, kids are willing to sit there and watch it and take it in because it's so beautiful, and they can understand it that way. I think we've just, I think we've kind of moved into everyone is a visual learner these days. But I mean, also at the same time, though, there's something that gets really in the way of this is the sexually transmitted aspect of it. People think it's all about STDs, and it's really not, because with an STD, you can pass it on, and that doesn't change anything about what happens to you. Like, yes, it's still death is coming for you or whatever. You're still infected. But in the movie, passing it on prolongs your life, you Mm -hmm. know? So here's what David Robert Mitchell said. I believe it was in a Vulture interview. The basic idea of being followed by something that looked like different people that was very slow and always coming came from a recurring nightmare I had when I was a kid. Later, as an adult, I added the sexual aspect of passing on this terrible thing. It came at two different points in my life. So that's like he's pulling from his own life and at the different ages he was when he experienced these things. Like first, the fear of just the unknown coming for you slowly and surely, being a young child and having that recurring dream. And then as a young adult, the fear of STDs consequences for your choices and trying to live your life to its fullest as the case may be it's that it doesn't matter what phase in your life death always means something once you learn that it exists right and even before you maybe learn that death exists there's still some inherent fear there it's why kids have nightmares you know like there's still some fear there uh but Because he was that age for the sexually transmitted aspect, it kind of dominates the dialogue around this movie, and people think that that's what it's a metaphor for. It's really not. It's just another aspect that death may come for you. Yes. Also, I wonder if we're getting a peek into his psyche about uh, getting fucked to death by your mom. (laughs) Is this maybe a therapy session? Perhaps. (laughs) Perhaps. <laughs> uh, okay. So, Kelsey, hmm. anything else? I, my last comment, I think, is just that I really love this movie. But I think it's better if you just watch it as a movie. Right, just get absorbed in the tones and the visuals and let it kind of carry you away. And you'll feel these amazing things when you do. Yeah. Try not to overanalyze the meta. From my perspective, if you do it on, it's too simple. It's too simple. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. You, you find all these plot holes in it. Yes. Me, I can find explanations for them, but what ends up happening is this, Obsession with finding explanations for plot holes makes you run down this one dark alleyway of conversation away from the point of the fucking movie. That's not the point. Let's not go down that alleyway. Just watch the movie and enjoy it because it is quite a thing to enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yes. So what do you think it got on Rotten Tomatoes? 89. 
Try 97. Wow. Smart, original, and above all terrifying, It Follows is the rare modern horror film that works on multiple levels and leaves a lingering sting. Got an 83 on Metacritic, which is insane when you're talking about Metacritic. Mm-hmm. What would you give it? <sighs> I love this movie. She's she's trying to temper my expectations here. <laughs> I think it's so good. But there's this part of me that doesn't want to give it as high of a score as I want to give it because, like, the... Don't go down that dark alley, Kelsey. The deconstruction. De- Don't the go down that dark alley. De- deconstructivist within me uh-huh. is telling me that this movie has way too many plot holes. It's not well thought out. But that's not what it's about. <laughs> it's not about that. He said it can get on planes. <laughs> Yeah, we're not going down that road of all the solutions you could do to get away from it. Not the point. Stop having that conversation. I'm going to give it a 90. Okay. I was honestly, like in my head, I was like, I could totally accept if she gives it a 90 or higher, but I'd be disappointed if she gave it an 89. Like it's her decision to give it what she wants to, and I'm not going to argue that point with her, but I'd personally be a little bit disappointed if she gave it less than a 90. And so 90, perfect. I love it. I was going to give it a 95. There's a big part of me that wants to give it an 85. Yeah. I appreciate that you're fighting against that. I am. Because this is a more artistic work here. Yes. And I think we should appreciate it for that. This isn't Inception. Where trying to figure out the logic of it all is half the fun of it. No, that's not the fun of this movie. The fun of this movie is just being absorbed by it. Sensually. Like visually, auditorily, nostalgically, melancholically. Just being sucked in and wrapped around by all the elements of this movie. Mm -hmm. Even though it is a horror movie making you feel kind of good and warm, I would say. Oh, it leaves me sad. Yeah, but melancholic, right? Like that's, it's not like a sad, like I'm going to start sobbing, crying. It's sad, like whimsical sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really, really good movie. One of my favorite horror movies. Absolutely. You're welcome. Yes. Thank you, Kelsey. <laughs> Entirely Kelsey. I mean, I'm sure we would have seen it eventually. <laughs> But it was entirely her. Just like, I was kind of along for the ride. We're going to go see this movie. (laughs) All right. Kelsey, that was 2014's It Follows. Previously, we did 1981's Friday the 13th Part 2. And thus, our weekly episode is ending. But what are we watching next week? It's Thanksgiving next week. Oh, yeah, it is. So we're going to watch some Thanksgiving horror movies. One is called Home Sweet Home. Uh-huh. I saw the I saw the first cuz I was looking for this movie to get it. I saw like the first 10 to 15 seconds. Oh, this movie's going to be nuts. <laughs> you can only watch it on YouTube. Yeah, it's like the only place it exists, but I think it's posted on YouTube by the production company. Like it's an official <laughs> release. <laughs> And another movie I have never heard of, because uh, I have not heard of Home Sweet Home. I have not heard of this movie either, Christy, but it's on Netflix. Christy with a K, K-R-I-S-T-Y. Yes. From what year was that? 
I think 2014. Yeah. It's funny because Home Sweet Home was made in 1981. Same year Friday the 13th Part 2 was made. Yep. It Follows was made in 2014. So Same it was Christy. Christy. Yeah. Uh-huh. But these are both Thanksgiving-themed movies, so I'm really excited. You don't get a lot of those. Kind of like... The nostalgic comedy that you watch around Thanksgiving time is Trains, Planes, and Automobiles, and that's, like, the only one that exists. There's tons for Halloween, there's tons for Christmas, and, like, none for Thanksgiving. So when it comes to horror movies, it's good to have a few Thanksgiving movies. Do you remember what we watched? Oh, we didn't We didn't watch a Thanksgiving movie last year. That's right. Did we not? I don't think we did. I remember suggesting we watch Thanksgiving. It's on the list. Yeah, next year. One of the years. Yeah, we'll get to it eventually. Not looking forward to it. (laughs) All right, that is next week. If you want to watch along, please do. Until then, as always, you can reach us at podcemetery.com. Spell cemetery either the correct way or our way. It'll still get you to the site. There you can check out every episode we've ever done. You can even get a list over 100 movies long of every movie we've covered, all in alphabetical order. So the best thing to do if you haven't listened to our episodes before is just find a movie on there that intrigues you and then watch along with us. And then just do that over and over again. You can leave a comment there on the website or you can do so via email at podcemetery at gmail.com or by following us on Twitter at Pod Cemetery. You can also make a recommendation like Chickapedia did for this episode. So thank you. Chickapedia. Really appreciate you. Yes, thank you. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Those five-star reviews mean a lot, especially if you also leave a comment along with it. So please do that. Share us with friends because that's super helpful. But the most important thing is the fact that you listen at all. Thank you very much, guys, and we love you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. Any last words, Kelsey? I told the others. They didn't believe me. You are all doomed. So delicious. Milky Way? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I love Milky Way.
So I'm going to ask you a question here. Okay. You can feel free to delete this okay. if you want to, but okay. you just reminded me of it. So I was thinking for Mother's Day this year, mm-hmm. we could watch Psycho. Okay. Do we want to do the remake? Do we want to make it a double feature? Yes. Who really? I think we should talk about the new Psycho. What else would we do? I was going to do it with Mother. Really? It's a horror movie about a mom. What else do you want to watch on Mother's Day? About Mother Nature. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, I guess we'll sit through the remake. All right. <laughs> it's half a year away. Yep. <sighs> um. Also, it will be a year shy of being in our 20 years. That was another thing. It was made in 1998. Oh, but double features. We were flexible on yes, double features. Yes, I know. But that was going to be another excuse of mine why we wouldn't have to watch it. <laughs> um, Do you I know mean, I don't I, think I've ever actually watched the whole thing? I mean, I guess we don't have to. No, it's fine. There aren't a lot of differences. It's kind of a funny game situation. There are very few differences. We can watch. It's fine. You want to know what one of those differences is? He masturbates. I yeah. Know. Ugh. I'm. I'm okay. I, you, now that I think about it, I'm okay with watching it. We'll talk about it later. Okay. Moving on, our next film in this double feature. Not double feature. It's not a double feature. Why am I saying double feature? Every it's... episode would be a double feature if this was a double feature. Right. Moving on to our next episode. Pfft, fuck. <laughs> 